We are in the book of Jonah. Jonah embracing God's heart for the nations. We'll be there all month, so you can flip to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. This is how I remembered it. Uh, ha ah uh, jo That doesn't make any sense to you, but if you see any of these books that start with those sounds, Hosea, Amos, Joel, Obadiah, then you'll see Jonah, right? So just flip through your Old Testament. If you see any of those, you'll find the book of Jonah, and we'll be in chapter one this morning. Last week, uh, we were introduced to this prophet named Jonah, who had a relatively easy prophet ministry. You see, uh, the country was not being invaded by Israel's enemies, the Babylonians or the Assyrians. Uh, They were actually in a time of restoration, in a time of expanding their borders, in a time where the prophet just got to say how great God is. He's doing great things in our midst. He's restoring us as a country, restoring us as a people. Our borders are expanding. That was Jonah's ministry. Until one day, God called him, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Their evil has come up upon me, and I want you to go and preach my judgment to them. Now Jonah, in his own trepidation, his flesh, insecurities, in his uh, rebellion, says, I don't want that kind of ministry. Are you kidding me? That's a tough road. That's a hard road. I don't know that I want to go preach your judgment, and I especially don't want to preach repentance to our enemies. I'm not doing that, God. Gets on a boat, and he flees from the presence of God. Uh, So much so that uh, Tarshish, to go to and from round trip, was going to take three years. It wasn't just that Jonah said, no, maybe later. He said, I don't want none. I'm gone. Three years. That's where we find ourselves in the passage today. So the big idea is despite Jonah's disobedience and despite his fleeing from God's command, God's mercy makes a way for his mission to be fulfilled. God's mercy makes a way. You are going to hear that time and time and time again this morning. So as I read the text, I realize it's a longer passage this morning. I would just challenge you to consider already at the front end, how is God's mercy making a way in this narrative passage? In the testimony and the life of Jonah and the sailors and the storm and the fish, how is God's mercy making a way? We're going to read Jonah chapter 1, verse 4 through 7. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. Each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise! Go out to your God. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, 
And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea might quiet down for us? For the sea had grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So as I said, our text this morning over and over and over shows us that God's mercy makes a way. Let me show you five, five instances where God's mercy makes a way. The first is simply this in verse 4. God's mercy makes a way for Jonah to obey. He had run. He had gone the opposite direction. God had called him to get up and go out. And he went down and away from the presence of God. And in his grace and in his mercy, God sends the storm Right there in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And in sending this storm, God stops Jonah in his tracks and says, whoa, hold on. I called you to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go and preach judgment and repentance in Nineveh to take my message to those people. Wait, stop. I won't let you go all the way to Tarshish. I won't let you disobey. And I know it seems crazy and backwards to think of this idea that this great storm and the winds and the hurricane-like winds and cyclones in the middle of the ocean challenging this ship, threatening this ship to be broken apart is God's grace. I know that seems backwards. Just think about it. What if God allowed Jonah to continue in his rebellion and continue in his sin and continue in this downward spiral fleeing from his presence? I guarantee you there's less joy in that moment. So God sends the storm. It's a gracious act. It reminds us of Hebrews chapter 12. God disciplines those that he loves. He sends the storm, stops him in his tracks. Wait, I called you to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. And then we have this reminder of the command. It's very interesting in verse 6. Look at it again. The captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. The same word there, arise, is used in verse 2. It's this reminder of the voice of God telling Jonah in verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh. 
Almost as if God sovereignly made that captain go down into the inner parts of the ship and say the same thing that God had said. Arise, get up, fool. Call out to your God. This is a reminder to Jonah. God told me to arise. God has commanded me to go to Nineveh. And now God has given me the opportunity to not flee from his presence, but to obey him. God, in his mercy, makes a way and gives a second chance. Aren't you grateful that God's given you a second chance? I mean, think about the ways that God has given you second chances when he's called you to something that will give you more joy and you disobey. He stops you in your tracks and says, no, 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 you don't get it. I've called you to this. I've called you to that. Why don't you obey me? There's more joy there. That's God's mercy making a way. In this passage, you see a whole list of ironies. The first one is right there. You saw it. There's a storm and hurricane-like winds going on outside the ship. And what is Jonah doing? He's sleeping. That doesn't make any sense. How is it that he can be sleeping when everyone else is fearing for their life? There's an irony there, and there's several more right here in this passage, and I think why they're there is to give emphasis to us, to kind of open our eyes, open our ears, and pay attention. Some kind of contrast here, there's an irony happening, and we should listen up. Here's another irony in this narrative. God called Jonah out of the nation of Israel. He said, go to Nineveh, go to this foreign land, they're Gentile people, they don't fear me, they don't know me, they don't know about my character, they don't know about my promises, go to them, and he goes the opposite way. In the midst of him going the opposite way, he is surrounded, literally surrounded by the same kind of people, right? These mariners, these sailors who have made a life of crying out to small g gods, Right, pluralistic, let's just try to adopt anything and everything from every port that we go to. We're going to figure out how to be spiritual and religious. They don't know the promises of God, the character of God. For the record, when your Old Testament Hebrew scriptures say, Lord, L-O-R-D, that's a direct translation of the word Yahweh. The one true God who made everything Yahweh. They don't know this God. They don't know the one true God, Yahweh. And yet Jonah is right in the midst of these pagan sailors. And he doesn't take the opportunity to tell them about Yahweh. He says later, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. I know the God who made everything, the dry land and the seas. But he doesn't take an opportunity to tell them about the Lord. Rather than being out and among the Gentiles, he is hiding himself, isolating himself, In verse 5, in the inner parts of the ship. Another irony there. Isn't that weird? It just stands out. He's doing the exact opposite of what you would expect as a prophet. That irony gives emphasis to us. Hey, don't do that. Let's learn from his example. There's an application for us this morning. How many times has God put us in the midst of tons of people that don't know the character of God, his love and grace and mercy, or his judgment and his wrath? His expectation on us to be holy, and we can't be holy apart from Jesus. How often are we around people who don't know Christ and don't know the good news of the gospel? And rather than fulfilling the Great Commission, rather than taking an opportunity to be used as his mouthpiece to speak the good news of Christ, we do what Jonah did. We isolate. We hide. Go to the inner parts of the ship. Just leave me alone. 
that's not, that's not what Jonah, I think, would want us to see. Later, if he was the author, he's saying, listen to my bad example. If he wasn't the author, he was telling the story over and over and over in Hebrew tradition, saying, don't be like me. Don't isolate yourself. You have an opportunity to be among these sailors. You have an opportunity in your workplace, in your neighborhood, among your friends, to be among people that don't know Jesus. Speak up. It's a good application for us to have God's heart, embrace God's heart for the nation. I want to tell you briefly a story of one of our church members came to the office this past week, uh, a different one than I mentioned in the announcements, and uh, sat down with two of our pastors and said, I just want you to know I'm finally getting it. And we said, tell us more. And they began to say, for the past 30 years they've been in this church, 30 years hearing all kinds of preaching, great pastors, great leaders, great ministries, gone on mission trips and shared the gospel but didn't get it. They said to us, I still thought my only responsibility was to invite people to church. Don't get me wrong. It's great to invite people to church. They should be experiencing fellowship and encouragement, what it's like to be a part of a local family, the bride of Christ. But it can't stop there. I always thought it was just my job to invite people finally for the first time in years. I'm getting it's my responsibility to tell them about Jesus. Amen? She began to tell us more about what God was doing in her life. Four very specific people that she was praying for. One, uh, at her job that she gets to pray with now, never thought she'd be able to pray for this person. Walking through a very tough situation, the first time she offered to pray for them, they kind of recoiled back and said, I don't don't know about that. She was gracious. She said, I'll just pray for you. I don't need to pray with you. And this person at her work said, no, pray with me. She's praying with this person, having the opportunity to tell them about the Lord who has all kind of power to show his grace and compassion in the situation that her coworker is in. The, the next three people, the opportunities that she has to be around them in her daily and weekly life and her experiences throughout her life. And she said, I'm getting it. I'm finally getting it. You know what? We praise God for that. Every time we hear a story like that, I just praise God and I say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you that people are not following the bad example of Jonah, actually going, actually seeing their responsibility in the Great Commission. God's mercy makes a way for Jonah to obey. Here's the next one. God's mercy makes a way for the sailors to be safe in the storm. I don't know if you noticed, but as you read this passage, the storm seems to get worse and worse and worse. It starts off pretty bad. How do I know that? Because it's threatening to break up the ship. That's got to be pretty bad. How else do I know this is a really bad storm? Well, these mariners, these sailors are going down to Tarshish. They've got their cargo, right? This is their livelihood. This is how they make money. And the storm is so bad that they're saying, get rid of the cargo. Just toss it over. We'll hurl it over the sides. Because at this point, we don't care about money. We care about our lives desperate situation. They think they're going to die. They think they're going to perish. It says that at the end of verse 6. The captain says, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. It's a pretty bad storm. Just get the picture of pandemonium. These sailors running around, throwing things over the side, calling out to their small G gods, help us, help us, help us. We're going to die. 
And then it gets worse and worse again. I don't know if you noticed that as we read through the passage. There's two other times it said it grew more tempestuous. That the storm was stronger. Yet God's mercy makes a way for the sailors to be safe in the storm. I don't think I'll ever experience this kind of storm. I'm not a sailor, right? I've never been in a hurricane. But I can tell you one time I was fishing with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. We're in the, the Gulf of Mexico in this bay and a storm just came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden this over 20 foot long old Mako fishing boat starts rocking. It's okay, it's just rocking, it's fine. I'll be fine. My father-in-law says, this is not fine. Right? It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And if we don't do something, this boat is going to sink. I thought, oh, this is a big deal. So him and his experience, he finds a place, this little beach that we can anchor the boat, try to get out of the storm. We find this little shack where people were catching uh, crab traps and cleaning their crabs and fish. And we just hunker down and we start praying. Oh God, please don't let us be taken out by this storm, right? The difference was I knew the one God who could do something about it. I was praying to, to the God that could rescue us. We didn't drown that day. The ship, uh, boat didn't sink. We were good. The storm passed and it was fine. That's not the scene that we have here, though, with the sailors. The storm grows worse and worse and worse. They're calling out to these gods, small g, what can we do? They're fearing for their life. What are we supposed to do? And in that moment, we see another irony. This irony in verse 6, where the captain says, Arise! Don't you know we're going to die? Why don't you call out to your God? Perhaps he can do something. The irony there is, although these sailors are calling out to every God they can think of, none of those small g gods are going to do anything. Jonah, who knows Yahweh, who has heard the voice of Yahweh, is told to pray, and perhaps that God, capital G God, can do something. What does Jonah do? He doesn't pray. He doesn't pray. The only God who can do anything about the storm, Jonah knows it because he says it later, the reason this storm is here is I'm fleeing the presence of God. It says it right there in verse 10. And because he's fleeing the presence of God, he does not pray. Are we ever in that situation? We know exactly what to do. We know the God that can come in and just pour out his authority on this situation and at least relieve our anxieties, at least strengthen our faith and cause us to trust him, if not just silence the storm. And we don't pray because we're running from the presence of God. There's an irony there. And I think the emphasis is, don't run from God's presence. Don't do it. Don't be like Jonah. Another irony here, Jonah knew that the only way to stop the storm, he says it later, is you have to throw me overboard. And if you didn't notice this, it's interesting, that word hurled, it's the same word that happens over and over and over. God hurled the storm, the sailors hurled the cargo over, all of that is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Jonah. What's going to happen to him? He's going to be hurled over the side of the boat thrown into the sea, left for death. And Jonah says, that's what's going to stop the storm. Hurl me over. And in verse 13, we see something very interesting. It says this, Nevertheless, 
The men rode hard to get back to dry land. They could not. The sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Even though Jonah, who was rebelling against God, running from the presence of God, says, I know what will stop this. If you hurl me overboard, God will be satisfied. He would have stopped me. Y'all will be safe. The sailors don't do it. They have compassion on him. You see the irony? Jonah, who would not go to Nineveh because he was not going to be seen preaching God's judgment and repentance to a people he hated. He was never going to do that because he hated the Ninevites. He had no compassion on the Ninevites. He didn't have the heart of God for the Ninevites. Gets in a ship and runs the other way. And when he tells these sailors, listen, God will stop the storm if you throw me overboard. What does he receive? Compassion? Kindness? Let's try to honor your life first. Let's do our best to row against the storm as hard as we can first before we just throw you overboard. You see the irony? What can we learn? Don't don't hate like Jonah hated. Don't refuse compassion on others like Jonah was refusing compassion on others. Because here we're seeing he receives what he would not give. This compassion and love and kindness. There's contrast and an irony there. I think there's another application for us, though, especially when we look at what the sailors did. It said that they feared God, even before verse 16. They heard what Jonah had said. They knew that God, Yahweh, had sent the storm. They knew that God's prophet was saying, the only way to stop this is to throw me overboard, and they didn't obey. Why? Because I think they thought they could do it their own way. We'll just try to do it our own way. We're not going to do it God's way. We're going to put every ounce of strength uh, and every ability that we can think in our own creative little minds to do it our way. Maybe that's going to work. Not God's way. We don't want to do it God's way. Look where it got them. Nowhere. How often do we know God's command? Do we know God's desire for our life because we've read it in the Scriptures? And in our own pride or in our own thinking that uh, we might be creative enough or just different enough from someone else, that we're going to try it our way first. It leads to failure. I think we can learn from the sailors here. Just do it God's way first. Right? Don't try to do it your own way. And especially this. I think, I think this is just blatant all over our culture. We don't need Jesus. We'll just be good enough on our own. That lie from Satan will never be true. You don't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. I can't be good enough. I can't be righteous enough. I can't work hard enough to earn a relationship with God. So if God tells me in the scriptures, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, and I know that it's only through Christ that I have a relationship with God the Father. Why would I try to do it my own way? It's not going to work. It's going to lead to more and more failure. Yet God, in his grace, makes a way. In his mercy, he makes a way for the sailors to be safe in the storm, and they throw them overboard, and they're safe. Here's another way that God's mercy makes a way. God's mercy makes a way for the sailors to believe. 
God's mercy makes a way for the sailors to believe. Can you imagine the reaction of the sailors when it says that the storm just ceased? This storm that had been getting stronger and stronger and stronger, all of a sudden, nothing. It's peace on the sea. And now they experience what Jonah said would be true. Just throw me overboard. I guarantee you the God who made the, the earth, the dry land, and the seas, and all that's in them, he will just quiet things down. And now there's this astonishment. Wow. What he said was true. Look back at verse 9. 9 and 10. Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah's confession was true. And here, these sailors are fearing the Lord in a different way. They're not just exceedingly afraid. They fear the Lord. There is a reverence and an awe and a respect. God, you are mightier than me. You have calmed the sea. You have quieted the storm. We make sacrifices to you. We make our vows to you. Now, I can't read these sailors' hearts, and I don't know if that means they gave their lives to the Lord. But I do know that God's mercy made a way for the sailors to believe. That they might engage in a relationship with God. I don't know where it ended because the story doesn't tell us. But I do know that God made that way. That God's mercy made a way even for these pagan sailors who didn't believe in Him at the beginning. Now have the opportunity to fear Him, worship Him in reverence and awe, make sacrifices to Him, make vows to Him. Verse 16. God's mercy makes the way. And then we see another irony. Even though Jonah confessed that he feared the Lord, he wasn't fearing the Lord. If we fear the Lord and have this reverent respect for God and everything that he says, we're going to obey him. But that's not what jo Jonah was doing. He was running from him. He wouldn't even pray to God because he was fleeing his presence. He certainly didn't tell the sailors about the, the kindness and compassion and grace and mercy of God. He wasn't fearing God. But the sailors did. Despite the fact, despite the fact that Jonah wanted nothing to do with telling them about God's character, the sailors feared the Lord. And so that's another application for us. Sometimes in our own rebellion, we just refuse, refuse to speak about Christ. And God's mercy makes a way God's mercy makes another way for someone to believe, hear the gospel, repent, and believe. But guess what we miss out on when we do that? We miss out on the joy of God using us. And so we see God's sovereign hand making a way for these sailors despite Jonah's disobedience. The warning for us is that we might make the same mistake and not be used by God. That we wouldn't have this joy in obeying Him to see people opened eyes for the first time and opened ears and opened hearts that God would use us to be His voice. Don't you want that kind of joy? Listen, God can make another way. But don't you want that kind of joy? For you to be involved in that. For you to understand what it is to see someone turn from their sin and trust in Jesus because you 
patiently walked with them and said, let me communicate the gospel. Let me open the scriptures with you. Let me meet with you and teach you everything Christ has taught me. There's a joy there that I don't want you to miss out on, church. Don't be like Jonah and miss out on that kind of joy. Two more ways that God's mercy makes a way, and I promise I'll be a little quicker on these. God's mercy makes a way for Jonah to be rescued. There's something sweet there about verse 17. Look again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Again, God sent a storm. That doesn't seem to be very gracious, but it is a gracious act. And now we see this man being swallowed up by a great fish. That doesn't seem to be very gracious, but guess what? God in his grace and mercy and kindness is sending this fish to rescue Jonah. Now, here's the deal. I I don't know what it's like to be in the belly of a fish. I don't know if you guys have ever been in the belly of a fish. I can only imagine that it's disgusting. It's warm and, and slimy and gross in the belly of a fish. I know some people, it's hard to believe this man was actually swallowed by a fish and then three days later was spit up by the same fish. The Bible says it, so I believe it, okay? I will tell you this, as disgusting and dark and anxious as I might imagine it would be to be stuck in the belly of a great fish, I would choose that every day of the week over death by drowning. Which one do you want? You want to die by sinking to the depths of the ocean, or do you want to be swallowed up by this great fish? I'll choose the fish, please. All right? And so God's mercy makes a way for Jonah to be rescued. He thinks that he's going to be thrown overboard. He's disobeyed. He's missed out on his chance. He was even given a second chance to arise and continue to go to Nineveh, but he didn't. He was fleeing the presence of God, and so just throw me overboard, and I'm going to die there. But again, God's mercy makes a way. The fish comes and he's rescued in his deepest time of need. When the ocean could have swallowed him up and taken his life, God sends this great fish, this lifeboat, where he will stay for the next three days. That's God's mercy making a way. The sailors were in a desperate situation. This storm was going to break apart their boat. God's mercy made a way. Jonah is going to sink to the depths of the ocean, swallow water, run out of oxygen, and die. Or tread water for I don't know how many days, and then do that and die. God's mercy makes a way. I think we see that theme over and over and over again, and we see it in its climax in this last point. God's mercy makes a way for us to believe. Not just saving the sailors from the storm, not just giving Jonah a second chance, not just rescuing Jonah from the ocean, not just giving the sailors an opportunity to believe. God gives you and me an opportunity to believe. God's mercy makes a way for us to have faith. And How do I know that and where is that coming from? Well, maybe you would remember in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 12, when the crowds are demanding a sign, show us a sign, we want more miracles, give us a show, Jesus. He says, no, no, no. That kind of sign that you're looking for, you're not going to receive it. This is the sign that I've already given you. Don't you remember Jonah? He was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, and later he was spat back up. That's going to be me. I'm going to die. 
I'm going to be in the grave for three days. I'm going to raise from the grave, defeating Satan and sin and death. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 and 40. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In this passage, Jesus is looking back to the Old Testament only to proclaim that that was a foreshadowing of his life. The Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus. That the same power and authority that God had to take that great fish, swallow up a man, keep him in his belly for three days, and spit him back out on dry land is the even greater authority that Jesus has to live a perfect life and go to the cross pour out his blood for sin, be in the grave for three days, and then raise from the grave. In his power, in his authority, proving he is Messiah. God's mercy makes a way for you and me to believe because of what Jesus did. Just like the sailors, just like Jonah, we're in a desperate situation. Hebrews 12 again says that our sin clings so closely. We try our best to get away from our sin and it just keeps clinging to us. So the command there is to throw off sin, cast off your sin, and keep your eyes fixed on Christ because He is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. When we're in that desperate situation and apart from Christ, we can do nothing to call out to God. We can do nothing to earn righteousness. We can do nothing to experience freedom in Christ. We can't make our own way like the sailors tried to do. All we can do is turn away from sin and trust Jesus. When we are in that kind of desperate situation, God's mercy makes a way for us to believe. That's why Paul said, speaking of the death and resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians, that it is the first priority. It is the first importance. Whatever someone needs to know, they need to know about Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the grave. Listen to what it says and then we'll close. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received and which you now stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. God's mercy makes a way for you and me to believe. What he requires from us is repentance from sin and belief in Christ. Since Jonah was stuck in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, Jesus went to the cross, paid for our sin, was in the grave for three days, and rose victorious. That's why we sing Rock of Ages. That's why we sing we have victory in Christ. Because Jesus did these things for us. So what are you going to learn from Jonah's testimony this morning? There's so much here in this narrative. There's so much that we can learn. There's so much to respond to. Are you running from God? Are you fleeing His presence? If so, repent today. 
Let let God's mercy make a way for you to return back into right fellowship with God. Maybe you know in your heart of hearts that you're rebelling against His command to make disciples. You know, and the Spirit's been showing you the importance of speaking up and speaking Christ. For whatever reason, you're just not jumping over that ledge. And if that's you, learn from Jonah today and ask God, cry out to God, let your mercy make a way for me. That you don't give me what I deserve for disobedience and you give me that second chance that you gave Jonah. God, I want to honor you. I want that kind of joy to speak Christ. What a beautiful prayer. What a, what a beautiful moment to put that stake in the ground and, and take a turn in your walk with Christ today. Maybe you feel like you are in the midst of a storm and it's just growing and growing and growing and getting more and more tempestuous. And the trial that you're in is just so overwhelming. I don't know that God's going to immediately silence your storm. I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is you cry out to him and say, God, I know you did it for Jonah and the sailors. Let your mercy make a way in my life. Show me your grace. Show me your faithfulness. Show me your goodness to give me strength for another day. Jeremiah prayed in Lamentations. God, your mercies are new every morning. On your steadfast love and your faithfulness, I will meditate and praise you in the midst of your storm that you would cry out to God. Let your mercy make a way. And Maybe this morning you hear something that I've said about Christ. That this whole passage that Jonah being swallowed by a fish is actually a lot less about Jonah and a lot more about Jesus. Pointing forward to Jesus, living perfectly and dying and raising from the grave. And for the first time, God is opening your eyes and giving you a heart that wants to respond to the gospel. That that's a big deal that Jesus would make that way for you. And today's a day of salvation. And you need to respond today. Don't walk out the doors. Today, you need to respond and say, I want to start my relationship with Jesus. You have that opportunity. Pray with someone right next to you. Ask them to open the scriptures with you. Come and talk to a pastor. Spend some time today saying, how do I take advantage of God's mercy making a way for me?